Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, every week, I like to share stories or individuals or guests that inspire you, that give you insight, that um, really give you experiences, life experiences, both in personally and professionally. And today is no exception. I am very, we are very honored and privileged to have a long-term sort of, I'll call her a colleague, but we met about four or five years ago at the American Society of Training Development, now called ATD. Uh, and this individual is the founder, she calls herself the chief instigator of HR.com, one of the largest uh, sources for HR information and dissemination in the world. So everybody, welcome Debbie McGrath to the show. Welcome, Deb. Thank you. Deb, as I do with all shows, um, tell us a little bit about your story, where you grew up, up, and then how you came into the success that you have. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, as you listen to this, not only is she very successful in the business side, but she also has five kids, and we'll ask her about how she even does that. So, uh, Deb, what's your journey? Where did did you grow up, and, and how did you come into this professional development space? Well, it's a, it's a long story because I'm very old and I've been doing this for a long, long time. Um, I'm just celebrating my 19th year at HR.com. And previous to that, I had another company that I owned for 10 years. So give you some visibility as to how old I have, how old I am and how long I have been in this space. But I think I, you're like 40 something and you started when you were 10, right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> That's a good answer. So, um, but I started actually in the more um, the staffing space. So adjacent to like one of the disciplines within HR, because we define HR as covering things such as leadership development, HR, payroll, compensation, training, gosh, staffing, all kinds of things. But I started in the staffing mm-hmm. space in 19... Um, Gosh, I don't even want to say it, it was so long ago, <laughs> but um, 89, 80, 87 time frame where I worked for a personal agency and then I started a company that introduced career fairs or job fairs to Canada. So I'm Canadian, so that's one hint for you. Uh, I currently live north of Toronto. I've been here all my life in a small town called Aurora, which actually has grown from probably about 16,000 people when I went to school here, um, now to probably close to 60,000 people. But I started my career in the staffing space, then went on to create a company that did job fairs. And ironically, in 1986-87 timeframe, I launched a job board platform that uh, was launched before Monster or Career Builder or any of the big name job boards were there. I competed against them to get a lot of the Canadian newspapers on a job board platform. So it was the founder of uh, something some Canadians may know is called Workolis and did uh, 57 job boards uh, for all the major newspaper papers across Canada. 
So, Deb, you know, I, I interrupt my guests because they always have these gems and these stories. So what, what, you got, what got you into this space? I mean, you have a degree in computer science, so you understand programming and business administration, so obviously you like business. But what got you into this direction versus something else? <laughs> well, um, I graduated from the University of Guelph, which wasn't, you know, at that time, a long time ago, we were programming in cards. So, you know, one of the first females in the space before it was even trendy to be a female in a computer science degree. And I always had this passion for technology, um, although now my kids call me like an old-fashioned person who can barely use my phone. But I uh, always always kind of saw the opportunities of what technology could do to help us. And when we were doing the career fairs, you know, it was a real skill to know where you could find certain skill sets within organizations because back in those days you would just put an ad in the Toronto Star, the Vancouver Sun Province, or heaven forbid the Globe and Mail, and get individuals to come out to these physical events. But it was very expensive and the internet was just coming to fruition. So we did a series of training sessions to HR professionals, teaching them about the internet, telling them that it was in color and you could have an email. And that's like, that's literally how long ago this was, but things have changed so rapidly. And we decided that if we could create a job, um, a resume database, and when we launched it, everyone was like, there's no way anybody would put their resume or their job profile on the internet. We're like, well, why not try it? Let's see. Now, of course, everybody has a profile on the Internet. It's widely accepted. And, um, you know, we were kind of the pioneers of that. So I remember, you know, being one of the first companies in the world to connect a Microsoft database to the Internet. It was us and FedEx that were pushing Microsoft on how to do that. And we did it for a resume database. So, anyway, wow. well, I, I those are little that, secrets for people that are listening that uh, yeah. those capabilities and being a pioneer. And uh, now, how did you? You know, I know you. You are a strong person, but you're very nice too. So, I mean, sometimes <laughs> those two don't always mix. But how did you overcome um, some of the gender biases back then? As you being a pioneer in that, how, how did you manage that? I want to encourage the. Yeah. Um, the women that are listening to this, and I mean, things have changed a lot in the last 30 years, but as a person who has a daughter and a wife who work, who are professionals, what would you say you did and what would your comments be? It's, it's interesting because um, and when I was young, I was, I was pretty ruthless and I was pretty determined and nobody was going to get in my way. And I didn't really see a lot of the bias um, that I see today, even in my position now. So I had a fraction of the experience, but I didn't, I didn't look for those, the, I, like it didn't even occur to me that I wasn't being treated fairly or equally in the marketplace. And I just knew mm. I could do the job and I just pushed through. Okay. So you didn't now, give it, so part of the way you handled it, you didn't give it any attention. You just went anyways. Yeah. But now at HR.com, um, I see more of it. And I see it in different views, which is interesting because I see it as a female entrepreneur trying to compete in a U.S. market, um, more, more risks associated to it. I see it more um, in our banking system in Canada, how they treat female entrepreneurs. I see it more through other high-tech CEOs um, 
not not necessarily treating me fair or equitable in the marketplace. But I never yeah. really even knew when I was young to even look for that or recognized it could have been an issue. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that. So you got into this uh, posting res- uh, resume sort of space. Tell us more about that journey and that story and how that unfolded. Well, it, 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 here's a very good story for you. So for some strange reason, newspapers always gravitated towards my businesses. Um, one, because I think they needed the most help in terms of trying to get their traditional advertising business online. So they came to me and asked for help to, to figure out a strategy. And I remember I was like eight months pregnant sitting in the um, uh, the Canadian Global Mail office for the person running their new media strategy. And he basically said, you need to stay here help us with our strategy. And I, I was probably like 32 at the time, very young, and I was probably expecting my second daughter. So, uh, and I'm like, no, I have to go. I have to have a baby. <laughs> I have to leave in a, in a month, right? And right. he's like, no, no, you need to stay and you need to figure this out and help us with this. And like, we need to buy your company. And I'm like, no, we need to date first before we figure this out because this is going to be really, really hard. So I ended up having uh, my daughter and then staying there and working um, at that, trying to launch the Global Mail Workopolis while still running my career fair business because I saw online recruiting as the future of the world for, for the HR space. So I did that for yeah. a very short period of time while we were dating, but it quickly became apparent to me that um, this wasn't going to be a long-term mate. You know, people in Canada were not as innovative or as creative or um, investment-worthy kind of, of of where we needed to go with our product in the market. And, mm. um, and just randomly, I started getting offers for my business from the U.S., from big conglomerates like the Washington Post or Knight Ritter or independent people. So I opened up the company to an auction and actually sold it to the Washington Post. Okay. Wow. Um, and I didn't know that about you, Deb. Interesting. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And um, that, you know, at that time, they they were very committed to growing the online space for professional education. And they saw uh, getting access to people when they were changing jobs and having an online um, job board would be very essential to their strategy. And one of the other assets I had was an applicant tracking system, which they continue to develop and build out. And that went on to be part of a company called Brass Ring that then went on to be part of uh, Conexa, and now it's part of IBM. So all through all this journey, I was continuing to invest in technology and push the envelope in terms of developing um, platforms that would help HR professionals do a better job. So I sold the company. So you you sold the company, uh, and of course, in the amongst, in, amongst this, you're managing this family. So maybe we'll just take a breather here for everybody that's listening and this whole thing about, okay, if you have a career, you can't have a family. If you have a family, you can't have a career. What's your advice to uh, parents and caregivers around this whole dynamic? How did you manage this? And, you know, I've met your kids in Vail, Colorado, just awesome. Uh, They seem to love their mom. What's <laughs> maybe not every moment, right? But uh, how did how did you manage all of this, having five children and and these very successful businesses? 
Well, um, they, they say it takes a village to raise a family, and it's true. So very early on, um, after uh, when I had sold uh, the company I owned, was called the CEO Group to the Washington Post, um, my mother-in-law and father-in-law came to live with us. So we, if you can imagine having five kids under the age of seven and running a business that just sold, well, at, at the time we sold, we had three kids, um, but that's still a handful. And then uh, having two right after I sold was even more of a handful. So when grandma, Marion, came to live with us, she kind of took over running the day-to-day lives of my family, right, which would be getting the kids to and from school. Uh, we also had two nannies when there was five kids at home. Right. But we have ultimately then went down to one nanny and, but we always kept grandma. (laughs) So, but she just, she really played the, the more the motherly role in our family and, um, and just helped keep us all together and on the same page so that we all ate dinner every night together. We all, you know, did, did the family things together, but she would be the one who would organize and coordinate everything. So she was the Uh, best. And you know, not everybody can, quote unquote, live with the mother-in-law. Yeah. Um, how did you manage that? Or she's just a special lady that's... Well, that's I would I would say she's an extremely special lady, but everyone can live with their mother-in-law and should live with their mother-in-law. Because <laughs> right? like, uh, I think the parent, the, our parents have done this all before and they know so much more than we do as parents. And you can learn so much mm. from them. And they have so much more time. Like they don't have to have a full-time job and do all these other stuff. And if you're going to try to run a business and be entrepreneurial, I don't think it's really strategic that I need to know how to do laundry, right? Or I need to know how to shop, right? So all of that sort of stuff was outsourced to people who were way better at it than, than I was and enjoyed it. And I clearly didn't. Did you ever get sort of peer pressure about, oh, look what you're doing, you're being a poor mother, all this kind of uh, CRAP. Did you get that at that time? <laughs> um, I did get it, but I didn't care, right? Okay. Um, I really, I didn't, I didn't really care if people thought I was a bad mom. I really didn't care if people thought, oh, she doesn't even cook or clean, because that wasn't really important to me. What was really important okay. to me is that I spent quality time with my kids, Maybe not as much quality time as I should have, but when I did, you know, we were on vacations or we were traveling together, we were skiing together, um, we were having dinner every night together. Um, You know, I was doing the important things as opposed to uh, doing laundry, right? So, So it didn't matter, but it did impact me. I remember when I was thinking, should I retire after I'd sold to the post? And I thought, I can't retire because... I can't, I, I won't be happy doing all those things. The kids won't be happy if I'm doing all those things. So I, I put the pressure on myself to say I needed something else to do. And that's quite okay. And it's interesting. I just want to affirm you and your choices, what you've done. And as I said earlier, I've met your kids and they're awesome. Or some of them, but not all of them. I'm not sure if all of them were in bail, but... Um, I just want to encourage the listeners, and there's a lot of uh, women who are professionals that are out there, and, you know, stay-at-home dads, too. I'm not going to be biased here. Is that what you set up is something that worked for you, and everybody else's opinion really doesn't matter at that point. 
and to be able to stay in that space. So I'm, thank you for that encouragement to people that are listening around trying to balance career as well as you know spending time with their kids. And you did say something very important. We had dinner every night together or most nights together. All the research shows is that that actually alleviates uh, kids going down pathways that are, are not advantageous because there is a connection time that happens there, and all the research supports that. So uh, congratulations on that. Yeah, I think people don't look at, they measure time at home, not time, quality time with kids, mm-hmm. right? So just because you're home, right. it doesn't mean you're you're sitting down talking to them or having conversations or doing um, good things with them. Right. I think that's more important, more of that and less just time there. Because there's lots of times right. when I was traveling and not there. Um, but we we still manage to have those conversations. Right. Great. Right. And I know you're kind of open that way as well. So Deb, you you uh sold the company to the Washington Post and then you kind of considered retiring, but that didn't really happen. So then, then what happens? So you realize that your passion is really to be in this space, to serve this space of HR and all the related sort of functions in it. What was sort of the next step in your thinking then? Well, so when I was with the Washington Post, it, I stayed for 18 months. And it was a very, very, very educational time in my career. Um, but it was, it was also... It, it was kind of disturbing. So in that 18 months, I had seven managers, right? I had, they had bought 18 companies that I was trying to consolidate all with different brands. I was trying to fit, make everybody happy. And, you know, I was the only person who really stuck around and tried to make this work. Um, and it was hard. It was really, really hard. I never worked so hard in my life as I did those 18 months. Um, trying to get everybody on the same page, saying the same thing, building out compensation plans, building out leadership, and yet my leaders were changing kind of every month or every two months, right? Mm. So it was difficult, and I remember once I went to them and I said, hey, look, we need to get a consolidated brand so we don't have all these separate entities doing the exact same thing with different names. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. And so I said, well, I bought this domain name called HR.com, and I think it would be really good for you guys. And they're like, oh, who would ever pay for a domain name, right? And how much did you pay, Deb? I said, well, I spent $10,000 in a case of Canadian beer, but you guys can have it, right? And they're like, that's stupid. Who would ever spend ten grand on a domain name? And I'm like, well, I did. And they're saying, no, we don't need a domain name. We don't need a single brand. So, you know, six months go by, I park my domain name, and then they start doing all these branding exercises to try to figure out how to bring it all together. And, um, and it, anyway, those didn't really work. They ultimately did consolidate on a, a brand of Brass Ring, which was fine. Um, but it takes a lot of money and a lot of effort to build a brand, right? It, mm. It's not just because you have a good name like HR.com. HR.com by itself doesn't really mean anything. Neither did Brass Ring. You had to add the people, the services, the culture, uh, the the products all behind it to make it into something very meaningful. Anyway, I I told them at the end with my last manager, he asked what it would take for me to stay there. And when I sold to the post, I honestly thought I would be there forever. I did. Mm. I've only really ever had two jobs in my life, so I thought that would be my second job. 
And um, it was really hard for me to leave. And when I asked, when he asked me what would it take for me to stay, I said, you cannot, you know, change my salespeople comp plan every month. You cannot, you know, um, not, you know, change leaders. You cannot change a company name again. You cannot do these things. And within the first month, he did all of them. So I left. <laughs> right. So and wow. I, I parked for, you know, a couple months and then started HR.com, brushed off the domain name and thought the industry needs a, a, a just a destination to go to learn best practices and, and communicate and chat with each other and share information. You know, print trade magazines are dead. We need something online. So that was the premise of starting HR.com 18 years ago. Wow, 1999. I mean, the, yeah. the um, Internet was just happening then. Oh, it was. Um, there was no video. There was, you know, um, you know we, we launched the first webcast in the space probably in 2004. You know, that was, that was it was crazy. We'd do three of them a month and one would work. And that was good, right? Mm. Um, but it was like dialogue. Yeah, a lot of the uh, younger generation, like your kids, who now kind of pick on you, and my kids do the same thing to me, by the way, Deb. So we're yeah. we're in it together. But they had no idea what we had to live through as technology was ramping up. Uh, I commuted to Detroit for a year uh, from the West Coast because there was no internet to send my program development files to them. Wow. So I just, I went. <laughs> you were the internet. <laughs> and we did it there. That, that was 97. So that was before email was really starting coming into vogue and files and all yeah. that stuff. So there you are. You, What was your initial vision of HR.com beyond what you've shared? So, okay, this place to come together, but then what? Well, just a destination place where everybody can, can co- contribute content and share best practices. Um, so we would call industry experts and say, Hey, do you have an article? Do you have anything that we could publish in our compensation vertical or in our training and development vertical? And that's all we would do is just call them and, and try to get content to feed the beast, um, which was great. But then, you know, we thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if these people could put their own content in, which was, you know, before Facebook or anything like that. And people would say, no, no, I can't do that. And they still don't do it actually, right? Like they don't, no, there's not a professional site where you go to and put a lot of your own content in. People are very good at just adding little blogs on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, but there, most people don't add a lot of meaningful, rich content on any community website. So we still do a lot of handholding and getting that content in. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it started. And now in the last couple of years, it's morphed more into a destination to educate HR people. So more training and education on how to do HR because the majority of the HR people, um, you know, there's single HR people in a company that's about 150 employees and they can't do everything. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. It's a very complex job, especially in the U S where there's a lot of compliance involved. How would the average HR person know the difference between one leadership development course and the next? How do they know what compliance issues are or how to pick uh, the 401k plan or retirement plan for their employees? They just don't. And the other one is, is the laws in every state or province or territory, because this podcast goes around the world, 
He is, uh, there's usually differences. So California is not the same as Florida or New York or Montana or Ontario or British Columbia or the UK or Australia or whoever else is listening to the show. So what are the qualities that really you think have contributed to your success in being able to build a couple of businesses to sell them to be successful? What, what are some of the things that you would say to other entrepreneurs or other individuals uh, and what are some of those characteristics that you would share with the audience that you think are important in being successful in today's business world or any, anything for that matter? Okay, I think the num- there's two qualities I look for in myself and in other people that I hire. One is persistence, right? So, so many times we build products and services or ideas, but we're not persistent in giving it enough time or effort or funding to make it successful and we give up too soon, mm-hmm. right? So you and I could come up with the best idea tomorrow and we don't do anything about it. We don't continue to do the path to build it into a great product and then it fails, mm-hmm. right? Um, but lots of times you have ideas that maybe are half-baked, but you don't take it long enough to get it full-baked and you, and you bail on it. So persistence is really, really important. Okay? Mm-hmm. The other is inquisitiveness. Right? How do you make things better? Or what else could we do to make this happen? Or you know, um, imagine, imagining what else we could add to this product to make it so outstanding or better than anything else. So this like, continuous improvement, innovation sort of uh, characteristic in addition to being inquisitive. Yeah, but all maybe even all like together along a single product line or a single company with a single purpose. But if you don't have those two things, you're going to if you don't create and innovate, you're not going to be in the market a long time if you're really mm. successful because somebody else is going to steal your ideas and do it better. Mm. Right? But you got to give it enough time to build traction. Yeah. And a lot of people quit too soon. They do, yep. Now, when you think about your journey, and you were joking in the beginning of the call about being in this business for a long time, what have been a couple of situations where you really had to overcome? Uh, or has your uh, process here been freewheeling, it's been easy for you, and you just, you know, just the golden no, parachute just lands not, in your lap It's never been that easy. <laughs> and I, I, I think those are far and few between. Mm. Um, the only reason that I've been successful is because of my persistence and, and my ability and my de- determination. Mm. But there's been lots of bad times at HR.com and lots of bad times at my old company, the CEO group, um, for various reasons, right? Um, we used to do in... In the HR.com days, we did um, high-end events similar to the one that we've been together at Ken. And for three consecutive years, I did it around September 11th, around SARS, and around huge fires in Palm Springs where nobody could get there. Mm. Right? So that, like that, at one point you just say, am I a natural disaster just waiting to happen? Because everywhere I went, there would be a natural disaster that would stop people from getting to an event. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? So for you, Deb, and I appreciate the word persistence and, and determination, uh, do you have people that sort of 
are your confidants that you sort of um, share with and grow with as a leader, or you do this all on your own? So um, I think being a CEO, uh, especially being a female CEO in the Canadian market, in a market that doesn't have competitors to me, so I can't reach out to somebody who's like marketing.com or it.com or finance.com and say, hey, what's working, what's not? Um, So I'm in a lonely business model. Um, It's hard. I also think where I am in Canada – there's not a lot of high-tech companies trying to do what I'm doing, so I can't get help or advice from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's not, it's not a, there's not a lot of people you can turn to for help on, and guidance. Right, right. Do you have any advisors or people that sort of a mastermind group that you interact with uh, just personally or professionally at all? I would say I have a couple, but not nearly as many as I need. And I, uh, I need to do a better job at finding those people. Mm-hmm. So you're probably familiar with an association called ISA, which is just for content creators or learning professionals. Mm-hmm. But it's an association of CEOs of companies who create training and development content. And I've started to find some other people like me in that space that I can share stories and help. Mm. So nice to have peers that you can kind of connect with. Yeah. So, so thank you for that, Deb, and thanks for being open about that. So when you think about HR.com and you've come a long ways, I mean, you're nearly 20 years now, right? I've so done the half marathon. And I guess <laughs> yeah, exactly. Checked in for the full. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. So um, completely uh, personal experience. Uh, what are you seeing? And so, we, you know, there's a lot of chat about the change in the – workforce and some people say that there's differences in millennials and not and you know we're we're virtual we're global all these kinds of words what are you seeing in terms of trends out there in this whole hr space and you go and take it wherever you need to uh to inform our listeners but educate them about just some of the trends as far as you know staffing and teams and and the hr process generally so um, so I do see a lot of really good trends, and I'm very nervous about our HR professionals stepping up to the plate and managing this and mm-hmm. really helping the CEO or the functional units of the business step up. So I do see a big emphasis on teams and project work. So I think the traditional org chart is, is over. Um, mm-hmm. People are looking for more challenge and more responsibility and more value in their careers, and they can get that within the same organization, but working on project or team-based events. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have a lot more technology to support virtual workplaces. We have a lot more technology to support accountability, a lot more technology to support open communication and, and track deliverables. And I think that this is a, a major shift in the workforce. And so what are some of the issues that... It's interesting, you made a comment, and I support it. You know, will HR step up um, to actually support this? Um, HR isn't, hasn't always been had a seat at the table, if you know what I mean, right? The vice yep. president of uh, marketing and IT and operations is sitting there, but HR might or might not be included. What is it that HR needs to do differently 
uh, regardless of the trends, to be to have a seat at the table that they maybe haven't done in the past? Well, the first thing is they really have to understand the business, right, and how they can help transition the business to these new, new trends. So if they don't understand the projects that people are working on, then they can't source the people for those projects properly. They can even ask the people on those projects to classify their skill sets or their communication capabilities or their want of what type of projects they want. Mm. Right? So they have um, a gap in you know, at, uh, insight as to technology that they may need to bring this all together, and they have a lack of understanding of who their existing workforce is to put them in the right job at the right time at the right place. Mm. So, so there's lots of things that they could do, but they're, um, they, need, they need to be more innovative, more creative, and more – it's all, all these ideas and these things happening in these companies is traditionally coming from the workforce, not from the HR department. Why, why do you think that is? You know, if, we, if HR is to be seen as a leader, why are they not – um, instigating or um, innovating? They're, they're mostly seen as being the implementers of the transactional stuff that happens in the workplace, making sure you get paid, making, making sure you get hired, making sure you get offboarded, making sure you get the training that you wanted, right? Those are all more transactional, everyday things. That occupies 95% of their time, and they, they run out of time to be more strategic, Mm. So really, they're almost the personnel department rather than the HR department, if you know what I mean by the difference. The actuary... Those are just labels, right? Yeah, the actuary side. So if if I'm a leader in a company or I'm an HR professional, what do I need to do to uh, create this transaction or transition, pardon me? Well, I think you have to get the CEO on board. Because if it's not coming from a top-level executive, <clears throat> why you need this transaction, what it's going to do to improve the business, how it's aligned to the company culture, values, and mission, then it's not going to be successful. Mm. Now, are there some professionals who want to do this and then the senior leadership is not into it? Yep, yep. <laughs> absolutely. And those professionals should get a new job. Mm. So right, the odds of changing you, sort of the leadership mindset, unless you're a gifted influencer, is probably it's limited? Hard. It's hard, <laughs> right? Right. So, when we, so if you're speaking to the leaders now, the leaders of organizations and companies which listen to this podcast, uh, what would you advise to them to transform? So I now oversee, I have influence over the HR department and who I have in there and what they're doing. What, what are you, you're advising me now. What, what do you want me to do, Deb? So um, you're the CEO, and I'm advising you as to what to do to your HR department. Yes. So I'm advising you to challenge them to come up with a more cohesive um, organization structure to get work done. What does that mean, get work done? In what's so, your definition of that? So if you're in the sales role, how do you sell 20% more? Mm-hmm. Right? If you're in the manufacturing, how do you produce 10% more product? And how traditionally, you, HR has never seen themselves as responsible for those kinds of No. Uh, They're the ones that come back and say, 
we need we need to increase sales twenty percent. So why don't we hire twenty percent more salespeople? Mm. Rather than efficiencies, training, all kinds yeah. of other innovative ways that could fit into that. And and I think HR is like every other role within a company. It's probably the eighty twenty rule. Twenty percent are superstars, and eighty percent just coast. Mm. But because HR touches so many other people and has the capabilities to make so many changes, we need to reverse that. So you've been in this space for nearly 20 years. Um, what's your, what's, what are you most passionate about now as far as the impact that HR.com is going to make in the marketplace? So that's actually a pretty easy question. So I believe if we train and make every HR professional smarter and better equipped to do their job, they in turn can inspire millions of people in the workplace. So if you have a great HR person in your, in your workplace and they do such a great job, they're going to touch, you know, an average of another 150 people. And if they can spread that love and all that great stuff that HR people can do, the world could truly be a better place. And what do you primarily uh, seeing as the, let's say the top three skill gaps in HR um, professionals that you are training them on in HR.com now or linking them to providers? So still weak in um, metrics, measurements, and analytics. So that's just one. <laughs> I'll use three words for it, right? But mm-hmm. how do we measure things so we can get better? Mm. So a great job at that. Okay. How do we build a strategic plan of where we need to go? Don't do a great job at that. Right? I think they're very good at the traditional compliance stuff and transactional stuff. Mm-hmm. And then how do, we, how do we build our organizational capacity for the future, which is sort of similar to the second. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they look at, you know, when we hire the next 100 engineers, where should those people be? And what would they be accountable for? And how does that process unfold and all the questions that go with it? Right. Versus um, <laughs> pardon the slang, bums and seats kind of thing. Yep. Yep. How is that going to differentiate our business? Great. Now, Deb, I, I want to go two sort of as we wrap up the show, I want to go two different directions. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you personally, what would your encouraging, wise final words be to business owners, entrepreneurs out in the marketplace to encourage them? What would you say to them? I would tell them to follow their passion and be very focused on, on what, they're, what they love to do. So don't get sidetracked. <laughs> so lots of times you think, oh, I need, I need to make my car payment. I need to... Uh, you know, be closer to my mother-in-law, right? Where those are things that may not be aligned to your passion. Mm. And you've got to, you've got to be focused on that long-term. Mm. So we make, we tend to make short-term decisions that impact our long-term career. But if you always think about what you want in the next five years, it's a different answer than what you want tomorrow. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And then if you were to put your HR.com hat on, what would your encouragement be 
to anybody who oversees personnel, HR, in any size company, what would you say to them? Think differently. Change it up a bit. Be creative. Think about the future of the workforce. And what do you want your organization to look like and the impact you have on that organization in five years? And make sure you get outside of the box. So what you're saying is a lot of times people can get into a rut. Yep. They just get stuck delivering payroll or just stuck delivering butts and seats, right? (laughs) For sure. Now, Deb, I sure appreciate you being with us today. If they want to get a hold of you or find out more about uh, just the services and information that you have, what's the best way to get a hold of you or to find out more? So I'm very active on email. So D is in Debbie, M-C-G-R-A-T-H at HR.com. And you can also find me on Facebook. And then HR.com itself as a site is your primary site. So people can go there and find out about all the information that you have accumulated uh, over the years and years. Uh, Do you have any idea about how much content you have online now? Um, No, we have way too much. (laughs) And... (laughs) Uh, we touch over a million HR people every month. So the content doesn't come from me. It comes from all of our members. So just give you an idea of how much we do have. Right. right. And you have several magazines, and I've been uh, fortunate enough to be a contributing author to uh, more than one of them. So uh, thank you for all of that. What's uh, three or four titles or magazines that they can, these e-magazines that you have that they could access? Well, Leadership Excellence talks about uh, leadership capabilities in the organization, goes to over 500,000 professionals each month. Personal Excellence talks about your um, strive to be a better person. We also have a talent management or talent acquisition benefits magazines. Uh, We do hundreds of webcasts every year that count for recertification credits. And we are also the largest provider of HR education We prepare more people for cert prep than anyone else in the world for SHRM and HRCI accreditation, and we have lots of recertification credits. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Deb, you know, you've uh, been successful as a mom, as a family person, and a business person, and so I just really uh, thank you for taking the time for being on the show. Thank you. Well, everybody, uh, Deb has shared her wisdom, her insights. And, you know, one of the things we want to do is we want to change it up because everybody's heard the old saying, if you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. So Deb's really challenging us. If we're an HR professional, a leader, that we take the initiative to look at something uh, differently, as well as for those of us that are in business, uh, one of the greatest skills that we could have is persistence. Never give up. Stay focused. There's all kinds of stories all around the world of individuals who just stuck with it and believed in their product. Yes, maybe there's some adjustments you need to make, but it is there for you. I thank you, as always we say, listen, if you enjoy what we're doing, please share with others, uh, likes, post some positive comments about the show. We sure appreciate it in advance. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. 
thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.